Herbert is being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. I, I'm not Welcome back to another episode of the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. <laughs> God, guys, it's fun to be back after a couple of weeks off. To all our magnificent listeners, wherever you are joining us from, far and wide across the land and sea, it's a real joy to have you back on board today for a very special edition of the show. I'm joined as always with my comrades, Jack Reed. G'day, mate. And Alistair Lloyd, G'day. howdy, howdy. Just quickly before we uh, just quickly before we crack on today, um, guys, if you're enjoying the show on YouTube or uh, Apple Podcasts, please take the time right now just to hit like and subscribe. It really makes a big difference for us trying to sort of scratch the surface in this big content world. So um, it means the world to us, as I said, and thank you very much in advance. As usual, find us on your podcast apps, the Thunder Down Under Charges podcast, and follow us on Twitter at TDU underscore Charges. Now let's get right into it. Today we're doing something a little bit different, uh, a little exciting. We're stoked to announce it's the first episode of TDU's off-season guest series. Uh, today we'll chat all things new and shiny at Chargerland since we last spoke. OTAs, press conferences, maybe a little bit of fun with the recent new Aussie signing in the special teams unit. Uh, we'll go quick fire around the horn and start a little trend of our own to round out the show. Um, Last but certainly not least, it is my great honour <clears throat> to introduce today's guest, one of Bolt from the Blue's very own, the newest member of the Guilty as Charged podcast, the Bear Grills of Real Estate, as uh, he <laughs> says it himself, and friend of the show, <laughs> Carl D. Dominicantario. Who the H-E double fuck are you? I'm Carl. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? What? Oh, oh my gosh. Carl. <laughs> Carl, brother, well... I, I heard some weird, sweet nothings in my ear there. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome, man. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's a real real treat to have you on with us today. Um, we've followed you and been a big fan of your the content you've been pumping out on Bolts from the Blue. Uh, you've been incredibly supportive of the three of us mm. since becoming Absolutely. internet friends with Alistair a little while back. Um, and I know I speak on behalf of the others when I say we are, <laughs> we're big Kev excited to talk Chargers football today with you. So um, welcome, man. How's things? What have you been up to recently? <laughs> Tell us a little bit how you and Alistair are first connected. Oh, I'm great. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Alistair and I were connecting on Bolts from the Blue for quite a bit. Um, I don't remember exactly how long, Alistair. It's, like, it's been prob probably years between name changes and other years, stuff yeah. on there. But... Um, I, uh, I'd say we connected initially once in this last off season, a few of us have started writing more articles in the fan post section. And, um, yeah. I started doing that. Alistair was kind of supporting me in that. And then Alistair announced that you guys were going to be launching this podcast. And I of course wanted to help and support in any way I can. And that's when we connected offline or 
online but on a different site on Twitter. Uh, but uh, it's been a great time getting to know Alistair, getting to know you guys now as well. I feel like I, I'm I'm in now because I'm getting the uh, the the late night uh, video messages from you guys when you're out clubbing. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's the test. That means you're you're on the end. You're in the inner circle, yeah. Carl. Yes. I don't know it's a, if it's a good place to be. But you're there. Yeah. Well, welcome. We- but uh, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun watching you guys. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we couldn't not do a uh, a super special intro for you, just to you know to make you feel welcome if you hadn't already. Given yeah so, some of the uh, interactions that we've had in the last few weeks. Um, tell us, man. Uh, how long have you been supporting the Chargers? How did you um how did you become a fan? Well, I'd say probably 2004 is when I first was, like, tuning in. Before that, I was, like, a fan in passing. Nothing really big. I mean, (laughs) the Chargers were, you know, 2004 in particular is when we had the first overall pick. So there was a Mm. few years of terribleness before that. But um, I became a diehard fan probably in 2005. I think that's when Sunday Ticket came out. And I would just lock myself in the... basically my parents living room and would uh re-watch and watch plays and try to guess what we would run and then you know I, I got to the point where i would able to pretty much guess what play we were gonna run how successful it was gonna be and what play we should have yeah, run right. <laughs> like it was just watching that's called the Anth- that's called the anthony lynn era right the anthony lynn <laughs> era halfback dive <laughs> play well that's what it <laughs> anthony lynn felt like that but that was the marty days back yeah. then i mean oh, and then it developed into Norv Turner, but um, it was mostly uh, good plays were happening, you know, in 05, 06. But uh, it's been a it's been an absolute blast. I faded a little bit in college just because it was hard to watch games where I was going to school. So yeah. I would just kind of follow just score watch. Yeah. But then when I got back, I've been getting really into it again as well. Yeah, nice. Did you since like 2013? Yeah, sweet. <clears throat> did you um. And, and what a roller coaster it's been. Did uh, did you play much football yourself growing up? Like, what sort of if you did play, what where did you play on the field, and at what level did you play? Yeah, I was terrible. Um, I played <laughs> freshman football, and that was it. Um, back in freshman at my school, um, and I think it's changed because of like concussion concerns and stuff like that. But there was ninety six kids on that freshman football team, yeah, right. and I was in my first year playing. So I was I was projected to start before we put pads on <laughs> like all through the summer where we were just working out i was kind of a workout warrior i was i i kind of went through puberty quicker than most of the kids so i was like stronger and faster but then the second they saw me put pads on i didn't know what i was doing and with that many kids on the field it was like okay well you're just in the back of the line now all these practice reps are going to everybody else yeah and that was really frustrating. I felt like I didn't really learn anything because I was buried so far. And after that, I just, you know, took my work ethic and put it towards work. But I often, you know, was bummed. I had mixed feelings about doing that. Kind of had a hard time watching my little brother play football when he was in high school. Because I was like, oh, I should have stuck with it. Yeah. It. But <laughs> that really, uh, that really, um, really tears at my heartstrings. It sounds a lot like my amateur football career where I was shit ass and never saw the field. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> so I went back and... Uh, <laughs> played uh, hockey there you go um man have you ever been to australia before um what did you think if not why, no. why haven't you why not <laughs> <laughs> well the job that i ended up doing in my summers instead of playing football was uh 
lifeguarding uh, or lifeguard instructing for kids. I was never actually a lifeguard, but I did this program called Junior Lifeguards. And I basically taught water safety and gave lectures on sea creatures and whatnot. So my relationship with Australia has always been telling the kids, oh, don't worry, that jellyfish over there is not a big deal. Like, it'll rough you up a little bit, give you a little rash. The ones you got to worry about are the ones out in Australia. Ah. And the amount of times I made that connection, I think it's got it kind of in my head that you guys got some pretty scary critters over there. So... When I do come over, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be looking to leaning on you guys for advice. Yeah, well, I think anyone who hadn't been here already who's just heard that is probably not gonna to come to Australia. So thanks to, thanks for that from a tourism <laughs> yeah. point of view. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. Um, look, uh, <laughs> I won't I won't spoil anything that's to come um, with you on the show. We'll we'll get into that uh, as we get along. But um, Jackman, what's been happening in the in the news uh, since we last spoke, guys? Charges are brought on Morgan Fox. Um, Kyle, what do you think of this Morgan Fox signing? Yeah, I think... Sorry, I don't know if I keep going with the music on, but I like it. I love the music. Uh, We'll we'll talk over it. it. Uh, Morgan Fox, I think, is... I mean, for starters, is a great upgrade over Tillery. I mean, presumably. Uh, But I'm really stoked that, you know... Between Kyle Van Noy, Morgan Fox, uh, Bryce Callahan, a lot of these guys were typically players that, you know, Tom Telesco would have signed to fill starting roles or holes. Like you can look back at Chris Harris, um, you know, uh, gosh, uh, that one guy from the uh, from the Panthers that came over. I can't Thomas remember Davis. on his name right yeah, now. Thomas, Thomas Davis. Davis. That's yeah. right. Like just some older, older vets that were savvy, kind of on the tail end of their careers that we were bringing on to fill a significant starting role. Yeah. And now we're bringing those same guys in to be our depth pieces. You know, with a guy like Morgan Fox, he is younger. Um, so he does have a chance to really do well and potentially go and re-sign somewhere else for a decent payday and net us a good comp pick. You love that stuff, Kyle. You love <laughs> it's it. My, the comp pick. It's my favorite stuff. It's my favorite <laughs> stuff by far. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's overall how I feel about it. But, uh, Jack, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I must admit, I didn't have much of a marker for Morgan Fox. So, uh, the first thing that I go and look for just for any idea is your PFF. Um, you know, last year he had a PFF grading of 55.5. Um, I'm a little bit worried about his run defense at sort of under 50. He, he scored a 44.8. Um, but his pass rush is, is in the sixties. So, um, perhaps he is going to be used in that, Edge role, that rushing role, specialist third down situations. He's just another weapon. Um, and, and Kyle, I do 100% agree with what you say is that, you know, we perhaps would be expecting if this was an Anthony Lynn signing for him to be playing, you know, 80% of the snaps as a starter. Um, hopefully he comes in, he's able to perhaps, as, as you said, learn a little bit more off of Bosa and Mac being that little bit younger. Um, and, and we see some production out of him. So yeah, again, an intelligent signing, uh, something that we're, there's a trend happening now with this Staley regime. These are these are sort of you can actually see how these guys fit in our roster, not just on the field. So I think it's absolutely fantastic. Alistair, what say you? I agree because he knows the scheme already. He played with Brandon Staley in 2020 when the Rams had that number one defense in the NFL. And the thing that I noticed immediately is last year, even though people said he was a bit of a bust signing for the Panthers, he had 26 pressures. If you apply that to the charges, that would have placed him second on our team ahead of Nuosu, who just had the 22. So we're, again, to Kyle's point, we're bringing on a rotational piece who actually has very solid and useful production. So 
I like the signing. He's going to be cheap, a million dollars or thereabouts against the cap. So um, sensible from my perspective. Yeah, I think you guys have all hit it really well on the head. Um, Low-key, really handy signing. Uh, Cheap, better production than Nwosu. Um, Fills the role of that rotational piece on a position of need where we're not relying on him to play a a role that's far too much for his... uh, for what he's good at. He's better, you know, use less, gets better production out of it. So... Um, yeah, really on board with this piece. And he just seems like a, a really energetic guy. Um, just listening to his press conference, he's super excited to, you know, be back with Coach Daly and be in LA and be around these guys. So um, really, really good. Uh, in other um, signing news, the Chargers have brought in a recent <clears throat> Trojans punter, Ben Griffiths. Um, former AFL player, uh, played for Richmond Tigers, drafted pick 19 overall. So for you Americans, the first pick of the second round in our national draft back in 2009, uh, only played 63 games across eight seasons in a career plagued by concussion. Um, In his later years, he was one of the few uh, AFL players who wore a helmet um, because of that. Uh, So, Mm. yeah, kick... Six foot seven, he's a, he's a big, big man, kicking 42 goals in his career before he got a scholarship over to the uh, the mm. Trojans, which isn't, you know, a, a huge flashy return, but he always had promise. He was a great athlete. So, you know, it's uh, it's kind of exciting to see um, another Aussie punter trying to follow in the footsteps of Darren uh, Bennett and uh, punt for the Chargers. Um, on this, Kyle, you and I are going to play a game, brother, uh, throwing you in the deep end right off the top. Uh, okay. Here we go. Jack is about to play a little highlight clip of the man Ben Griffiths plying his trade in the yellow and black of the Richmond Tigers. I haven't seen this myself, so we're both going in blind here. Um, and the, the clip will be muted, so what you have to do is your best oh possible broadcasting effort. <laughs> Just commentate on whatever you see in front of you. Give it your best go, and once you've done that, I'll have a go. A uh, little bit unfair. So before you say it, you're right, oh, it isn't. But we make the rules here at TDU, so uh, on your bike, fella, let's go. Jack, hit it. <laughs> sure. All right, who's going to count him All in? Right, here we go, Carl. Jack can count so him in. Good luck, buddy. Uh, you, you'll also get a chance to listen to the, uh, to the audio uh, after Andy's done it to see how close or far away you are. So, so is, this my, uh, is this my opportunity to give my best Brian Kelly impersonation? Just here I go. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, poaching go. on accents. Here we go. Coach, here That's we go. It. Three, two, one, and it's playing. All right, here we got the midfielder taking the ball up the lane. <laughs> he's running. He's going forward. Looks like he kicked it. We got a bounce. We got a bounce. Is he going to hit the post? Oh, no, it's not. He's picked it up now. We're taking it up at the outside. Oh, look at that leg on that boy. Look at that kick. We've got a goal. Oh, my yes. goodness. He's the postman, folks. He always delivers. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, you on toast, Andy. There is... Oh, oh man. He's got you on toast. Sorry, guys. That was a little tough. For whatever reason, the video's uh, a little choppy on my end, so I couldn't quite yeah. see what oh, was going well. on. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yes, I really didn't think you were going to do that well. The, the pressure is on, Andy. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> Oh, the postman always oh, delivers. The postman. <laughs> All right, you ready? You ready, Andy? Here we go. Yeah, sure. I couldn't tell if it hit the post or not, but I was hoping. <laughs> Here we go. All right, Andy. Three, two, one, go. 
And the Tigers midfield win a soft clearance out the back of the pack. Chris Newman goes long through the middle, over the top. <laughs> ben Griffiths first in charge. First to the footy, grabs the ball. In the pocket, deep on the banana. Goal! <laughs> Griffiths got the second goal of the game and the Richmond Tigers go two goals in front. What a start to the first quarter, just a minute and a half into it. My goodness, you guys both have another career in the offing if you want it. I'm, I'm thoroughly That's fantastic. <laughs> entertained by that. I don't, I'm, I'm even, uh, well, I don't even know if I want to hear the actual audio of it now because I'm not sure if it's going to top it. But for Kyle's sake, here we go. This is the, and our listeners also on our, on our uh, <laughs> podcasting. Um, this is what the audio actually sounds like. And you can be the judge about who actually did a better job here. So this is the actual audio. Again, they've given the ball back too easily. Newman streaming through the middle. It's over Revolt's head. Oh, a push. And over Griffith's head. No whistle. Gets another opportunity. Griffiths oh, and right. takes it. And that's the first You've got two key forwards in Revolt and Griffiths. They both get an early touch and kick a spectacular goal apiece from tight angles. Yeah, one was the uh, Stevie J curve and the other the good old-fashioned boomerang. They're kicking them from all angles. So there we yeah, Carl's thinking go. What on the old boomerang. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if we can use that. The before, old but, uh, boomerang. Yeah, golly. God. Well, fellas, you've got to decide who was better. I, I tip my hat to you, Kyle. That was a, whew, a fantastic display. Tell us in the comments who won that one. I think <laughs> I'll it was close. What did they just watch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very um, unmeaningful game between Richmond and St Kilda. There, that's, that's why they didn't care nearly as much as you or I did, mate. Um, <laughs> uh, good stuff there guys anything else we've seen in the um, OTAs or press conferences from new guys or coordinators Kyle mate anything special that you've noticed I was thrilled to see how many people were coming to OTAs for one thing mm-hmm. uh, I don't if you look back on Articles written about the last Super Bowl team we had, not winning team, but just a team that made it in 94. The energy around that team and the family atmosphere, like they wrote articles after the fact about how those guys would just hang out in the locker room together way well, way before games and practices and way after. And they really considered themselves a very, very tight knit family. And I'm getting that same vibe from this team in a way we've I don't think any of us have seen before. And it felt like it all started with signing JC Jackson, bringing in Mac and signaling to everybody else. We're going on a run right now. Like we are putting our chip, we're pushing our chips in and we've just, every move we've made has felt like we've been continuing to echo that. And all up, all the way up until now, it seems like the players have been feeding off of that as well and really launching and, you know, we're not getting like a Derwin James complaining about his contract not being renegotiated yet. Mm. We're not getting any sort of distractions other than what's going on with Dean Spanos right now, but that's a totally different and unrelated thing. But the team yeah. just feels like they are in love with each other and they're, they're having fun and fired up. And that is something I think to be very excited about. Yeah, 100%. I've, um, I've, got, I've got something that is very much symptomatic of what you just touched on, Kyle. And I was absolutely blown away with Donald Parham's press conference. He, he, he said the other day, he talked very openly about the seriousness of the concussion that he had. He talked very openly about what occurred and how scary it was. 
but the way that he was talking about it, he was confident. He seemed really happy. He seemed like he's back on, uh, you know, solid ground with how where he wants to be. And and he even said he's like, you know what? I had to think about making a decision about if I wanted to actually continue playing because it was it, it's it's mm. that serious a, a thing to occur. But the way that, I mean, that's a very vulnerable space for someone uh, like a Donald Parham, who's not your tight end number one. He's probably not even your tight end number two. To get out and actually face a media for 10, 12 minutes, that is just, that just goes to show what this atmosphere, this family atmosphere, Kyle, you touched on. The, the players must feel so supportive because I can't remember watching most members of a Chargers organization front up to media and actually speak. Uh, eloquently, eruditely, um, and really quite openly about what's going on. So I, I was blown away with Donald Parham. And, and for me in particular, I've had three pretty bad concussions in my life. Um, so so, th- so that really um, that really sort of hit home to me. Um, Alistair, what about you? The class, classroom's a dangerous place for you, Jeff. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of thought, I agree to your point that um, he handled that media session well, because I don't actually think the journos went easy on him. They they wanted to make the most of their opportunity speaking with him. And they asked him things like, have you seen the video footage of the incident? Um, can you remember what it was like looking up? You know, and, and maybe I, I was quite impressed with his, um, how he handled it. Cause I thought he could have got a bit defensive and thought that their questions mm. were maybe crossing that line a little bit. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I thought he was um, open. I spoke intelligently, and, and he's going to be a big piece of the offense, I think, this year, especially in the the red zone. Um, one thing I noticed was Joe Lombardi's press conference, and um, listeners won't know this, but I've got an Italian background on my mother's side, so I don't mind Joe Lombardi. I'm a little bit partial, <laughs> and I'm sure Kyle feels the same thing. Joe Lombardi, Pfizer. Um Faisan, exactly. And I thought it was interesting. He was asked about the right tackle position for starters, which I think is most Chargers fans would agree is the biggest question mark heading into this season. And he was asked about Frank Smith, our O-line coach who left to the Dolphins to be an offensive coordinator this year. And we've brought in an old Lombardi guy from New Orleans, Brandon Nugent, who was the O-line coach. And you could just see how comfortable Lombardi felt straight away. He actually said... I'm finding this off-season easier than last off-season when I needed to get to know Frank. Whereas Brandon and I were in New Orleans for years. It's kind of like a glove. He's came and fit right in. And about that tackle position, it was quite interesting. He was asked about it and how the right tackle spot hadn't really lived up to the billing last year. And he said, well, from my perspective, that's actually one of the few positions in the NFL where you see a marked improvement heading from year one to year two in a, in a system. Uh, and on Bolts from the Blue, one of our regular commenters there, Kev Diego, if you're listening, <laughs> um, I know you said, didn't the Chargers have all of the 2021 season to see what Pipkins and Norton might offer at right tackle? And I think, yes, that's right. But maybe we just need to keep open the idea that we may see some improvement from one of those guys. I know Pipkins has been training with Rayshon Slater and Duke Manyweather and, and is really trying to become a, a, an established pro this season. All we really need is the right tackle spot to take the jump from rotating door to league average or just league average. So you're not having to game plan around it. And maybe we should just keep our eyes and minds open to the fact that perhaps we might see some modest improvement from guys like Pipkins, or but we might not. But I'll be positive. I'm feeling good today. We've got Kyle on the show. 
So I'll be optimistic. Um, how about you, Andy? Are you taking anything from um, OTAs? Oh, look, I think you guys have done a, a really good job at rounding it out. I'd just sort of going back on just through a lot of the press conferences, um, just the the passion and sense of like community that all these new guys are feeling and um, just really wanting to be in the building with the Chargers and with Coach Staley. And I just think it's all of that sort of camaraderie is just a really great recipe for uh, walking the walk this year. Um, there's a lot of, we're not, we're not even really sort of outlandishly talking the talk, but it's even better if you don't say it, you just do it. So um, I'm really feeling uh, yep. just a lot of good positive energy. And, you know, at this time of year when uh, f- football news starts to trickle a little slower, I just need my hands on every morsel of fun uh, that you can you can get. <laughs> um, uh, we'll move. Yep. I mean, look, guys, anything you want to sort of say you're looking towards in the mandatory mini camps coming up? Um any, any sort of positional battles? I know, Lloyd, you just sort of... Al, sorry, you just touched on the right tackle um, situation, but are there any other camp battles that we're looking at? Maybe what happens with Michael Davis heading into in, into this season with our bolstered uh, DB room? Kyle? I've actually got two. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll go to Jack and Alistair and then back to you, Andy, first. Yeah, yeah. So I just make sure I don't take anybody's and then I'll <laughs> fill in right after. So, Jack, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you touched on it. I've got in big, bold letters here on my notes um, the cornerback battle or the DB room battle. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who takes that, uh, you know, that DB number two, whether it's going to be Davis um, or Asante will will, will really uh, take that role. I think Jackson is, is by and far clearly the number one. I'm also interested to see what's going on with some of our draft picks in the DB room, um, whether Adderley is going to still play at, at, his, at his safety position or if he's going to be seeing some time in the slot um, due, to, due to his size and his ability to tackle and things like that. So yeah, the cornerback battle for me is something um, that I haven't personally really heard too much about. At the moment, it's been very flashy. Uh, the, the mini camps and the OTAs have been a lot about Mac and Bosa and, and all these players that have been there. You know, Herbert um, finding that things have... S- trope alert slowed down for him again and, and he's finding this off season to be very you know even better his best so um i i just other other than that is is joe my man joe gaziano i like the big boys um he has a real chance to step up i was reading a, an article on the bolts from the blue so i can't remember who actually wrote it but gaziano's another you know he's that fourth fifth sixth piece on that d line that um you know if he just comes to just below a league average um, geez, that, that group's starting to have some real depth. So, Alistair. I want to see Isaiah Spiller come out and wipe the floor with Josh Kelly and Larry Roundtree <laughs> and look so much better than them. I uh, hope they're not listening. Look so much better than them that that he he's the clear RB2. And, and the reason why is, and I know I said I was going to be very positive and this seems counter to that, but I feel like the conversation around Spiller at the moment is wrong. Everyone on Twitter is so excited about this guy and it's going to be thunder and lightning and this guy's going to be a weapon. I feel like the conversation should be data suggests this guy faces an uphill battle to be a good NFL running back. PFF says if you look at the best running backs, they're good at broad jump and they're good at the 10-yard split and Spiller was awful at those. So I feel like the conversation should be expect less and then be excited if he is that statistical outlier but i feel like 
everyone's really bought into the idea that he's 20 years old and finally we've got a running back too. But there's a reason why this guy slid to the fourth round. And I don't know. I, the jury's obviously out. He might be the steal of the draft because he, he had that production in college. But I just say temper your expectations a bit. The data's not great on him. But this is that wonderful, like... Um, analytics versus the eye test because you've got Ladanian Tomlinson saying, yeah, man, this guy's everything. He's going to be awesome. And then you've got all these computer geeks say, sitting there saying, oh, but his broad jump was the last in his class. So we'll we'll get to see, finally, who wins. Is it the football nerds or the football coaches? I can't wait to see it. Um, that's what I'm looking forward to, to looking at. Kyle, yes. have we stolen your two points? No. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Man. Um, Alistair, to build off what you just said too, by the way, LT can go and, like, you know, pump up any running back that the Chargers sign, right? Because he has this reason to. Now, especially he's employed by the team again now, you know. But he was hyping them up. I watched that entire draft day. And he was pumping him up before we picked him up. He was saying, someone's got to get this guy. Someone's got to draft him. So that's not just LT homerism. He really believes in him. So I think that is something that needs to get brought up before I... Yeah, good on. point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I'm glad you did because well I didn't Neither know that I. at all. I thought he was just doing the paid employee thing where he's pumping up his tires now. So you you clearly watched every second of the draft, Kyle. Yeah, <laughs> I was on guilty as charged doing a live watch. And oh, man. Alex yeah, yeah, and I were just were just like, wow, this is three. I actually was having such a great time. I couldn't believe three and a half hours went by. But it was, in fact, mm. three and a half hours. Jeez. It's big, a long, long time. Long. But anyway, so camp battles that, yeah, yeah. Camp battles that I'm really excited to see are Horvath versus Neighbors. That is my most exciting mm, one. Yeah. And where the exponential like growth could take off from Horvath taking over that role. Because I in watching his tape, guys, and not only his tape, but mm. his combine videos to his pro day workouts, you don't really see him running routes at his um on his tape like they traditionally just had him going out to the flat mm. pretty much every time mm. and he did well he has great hands from what it looks like and has a little bit of wiggle once he gets out there but when you watch his pro day and watch him run routes um, now that he's able to just do what he wants to do to show off for the scouts he had some great double cuts and double moves like he mm. he to me looks like a very pro ready running back that has mm. upside I mean, you look at his measurables and they're off the charts. So yeah. I'm very excited for him. And then um, kind of piggybacking off what Jack was talking about, the DB room is really interested to me. I like that Jack mentioned uh, the second cornerback because I'm actually going to go one space behind that and make it not a battle within the position, but a actual position battle. Are the safeties going to grab that third spot or are the cornerbacks? Mm. Because mm. I really want to see that fifth defensive back on the field being a safety. We run kind of a, I like to call it, like Staley has his tight front, right? Where he has those three defensive mm. uh, linemen on the field that really create a very good uh, run defense formation for us. But when we move back to Staley's kind of base nickel set, where we only have two down linemen, we're kind of sacrificing a little bit of meat, a little bit of ability to stop the run. Even in obvious passing situations, we're really leaving ourselves open to be taken advantage of with these quick little draws or whatnot. And having a... Chris Harris. Dude, 
I mean, yes, yes, yes. Chris Harris all day. Just no one can backpedal away from a running play like that guy can. Uh, um, so having Derwin step up into that role and letting Nasir uh, and JT Woods be our kind of deep guys that mm. rotate, you know, staying between staying back and coming up is that money DB. That gets me excited. Yeah, 100%. Mm, me yeah, too. I think you've yeah, hit them really Hit them really well. They're their sort of main groups. I want to see really what they they try and use Kenneth Murray for. Um, whether his sort of role changes now that he's coming back from uh, foot injury. I haven't really been paying too much attention to him and whether he's actually back yet. But uh, what they sort of decide to do with him this year. Because, I mean, the jury's still out on, on our front with him. Um, we give him another year of production. And if you can't get it right, then, well, that's a whiff. Um, but yeah, uh, Dion Leonard and just see Taylor, their sort of battle for a roster spot, special teams depth, uh, is fun. You guys have, yeah. Horvath and neighbors was a, a big one for me as well. Um, mm. I really liked watching his tape when we took him in the seventh. Um, that was really, really it, uh, on, on my side of things for that. So, um, can, can I just say one more, can oh, I say yeah, one thing, absolutely. Andy? Um, and this is more of a big picture macro organizational thing. Um, Brandon Staley is perhaps slated for coach of the year. Mm. Khalil Mack is slated for comeback player of the year. Justin Herbert was just named uh, number one of the of the players under 25 or under. And Slater is also there too. We've had signing after signing after signing that everyone is lauding. This, Andy, you touched on it. This is a time to walk the walk. I, I think this is, mm. a, this is a time for... Staley, Telesco, our organization. I, I can't remember that the spotlight being on us so, so vividly and brightly. Mm, no. Let's see what happens. It's going to really test the systems that Staley has put in place, uh, that the lines of sight he's he's got, the control he's got of all his positional coaches, his coordinators, um, and the culture or the environment that he's that he's built. You know, can we deal with the pressure? Because it's going to come week one, week two. Oh, yeah. There's going to be pressure there. Mm. So th- that's the that's from from a big macro um, lens. That that's something that I sort of I just read article after article and I'm going, geez, this is it's mounting. There's a lot of media buzz. The charges versus so the I, world. I just, mm, indeed. Well it's going Jack and, and building off that, you know, we're so used to being off season media darlings too and mm-hmm. getting these good projections mm-hmm. and, you know, hyping up rivers and that he's going to carry us to a Super Bowl, but just having a lack of depth on our roster to where things falter. But right now we have so much momentum like you're talking about. It's it's crazy to think about. And to I, I feel like normally I'm the type of person that when we read our on Bolts from the Blue and someone's saying like, oh, it's really important that by the bye week we have to win this many games. Yeah. I'm always kind of the one that pushes back on that. I'm like, eh, like your people go hot and cold throughout the season. I just want us to end, you know, end well and with momentum going into yep. the playoffs. But this year, I do feel like it's a little different. We have so much positivity, like we've all talked about, going into yeah. this first these first two weeks, which are both divisional games, one of which is the team that booted us out of the playoffs last year mm. and has a, a new head coach. Too soon, Kyle. Too soon. <laughs> sorry, boy. Sorry. <laughs> We're here for the real takes today. <laughs> and then, uh, but, you know, they're learning a new system right now. You have in week two, the Chiefs that ha- that are trying going to have to rediscover their offense a little bit without Tyreek Hill being there. And they have so many new defensive pieces that – 
they're going to be a team that more than likely peaks a little bit later in the season. There's an opportunity for us to carry all this positivity into an incredible 2-0 start and knocking losses, you know, on uh, putting losses on the record for two of our divisional rivals. That gets me fired up. If we're sitting at this 2-0 when we're going into week three, I am going to be on fire. Ooh, the yeah, lid will be bubbling it. off the pot, no doubt. Yeah. Very exciting stuff to come. Um, we'll roll into our uh, Thunder Down Under Q&A, our round, round the horn rapid fire questions. So we've each prepared three questions, one for each of the other panelists, um, talking about the off season so far or prediction about seasons to come. So, um, Kyle, do you want to get the ball rolling and fire one, one of your questions off? And we'll just... Uh, guy who answered sure. the question can ask the next next question we'll just go that way you cool. got it you got it so i'll start with jack then so jack steven anderson played <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stretching. Go ahead, stretch it out jack stretching pull the neck out there you go <laughs> yeah so steven anderson played 345 snaps last season that was you know that gave, that put him on the field for a little over a quarter of the time we have a multitude of guys who could see their role expanded this year, and we only brought on one tight end to fill the gap that was left behind by Jared Cook. So where do you see Steven Anderson's snaps going? Who do you think could step up and take a good, significant chunk out of that? Oh, okay. Uh, that's a, Just let me compute that for a second. I probably need to justify any of these takes with a little bit of research, so I'm just going to go off what I know. So if, if I get some things wrong, I apologize. That's all we if can ask of you, man. If, if it's the thing about a spork, <laughs> I, I I did say that the spork is 100% <laughs> a, uh, an Australian invention and I got criticized by a number of people for saying that. So I'm just going to... A bit of a lie there. I'm so glad uh, you said it. Anyway. Save me from doing it. <laughs> so there we go. So Stephen Anderson, listen, I think, is this a question about Stephen Anderson or is this a question about Gerald Everett? And in my mind, it's more of a question about the production that we get from Gerald Everett. And then it depends on our Parham, Anderson, and, and what happens there. I, I believe that Anderson probably strength is more in the blocking game and being in, the, in those, I guess, those jumbo packages. If Everett is able to do what he did at the Seahawks, um, if Everett is able to do something similar to what he was able to do at the Rams, I think having your, your Parhams and your Andersons there is that second or third option. How many times was he targeted or how many snaps did he play, Kyle? What did you say? I can't remember again. So he, he, he played 345 snaps. Okay. Do you have any targets there or anything like that or not really? I don't have targets. No, no. just snaps. But from memory, Alistair, I think you said he had pretty safe hands. I think he was for targeted off the top of my head. So yeah, so Jack, you, you were kind of nailing it. He was he was a good blocker, good special teamer, and but but he was more of like a yak guy. Like he actually had some Everett crossover, kind of like mm. what you were saying. But he was mostly brought on as kind of that role player blocker H back type. So there's a lot of flex where I don't. I don't know who takes over that role. If it's if it's a Horvath, if it's a McKitty, if it's you know yeah, it's who- and it's a weird positional group because you know Cook is, is comes in as the veteran, which you know both Ever uh, Parham and Anderson are looking to him for advice and guidance, you know. But whereas you bring someone like um, you know Everett in now, and they're all sort of in that similar position, you know. So who's gonna? Mm. 
who who's going to take even the number one spot? I don't, it's probably going to be Everett. But yeah, it's it's a that's a fascinating uh, positional group, I guess. So yeah, mm. cool. All right, um, Alistair, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you up here. Okay. Staley's hairline clearly receded throughout the year due to stress. <laughs> As a man who knows about stress, uh, hairlines, and pushing through some tough situations, um, yep. what do you think will be Staley's biggest stress this year? That's a very wide open question, and decidedly so. It's a great question. I like how you took it away from the hair right at the end. Otherwise, I was going to have to address that front on. <laughs> and I've avoided it. All, I, all I'll say is if Staley, Brandon, coach, if you get to the point where it's becoming ridiculous, just do away with it. Just go the clean-o, shave-o, ball-o, shine-o, ball-o, and just embrace it. Um, I think he... Look, I, don't, I think the biggest stressor for him is going to be... Uh, living up to the expectations. I mean, now there is a clear media expectation that the Chargers are not only a playoff team, but a deep playoff team. And there will be invariably moments in the season where we lose a close game or Staley makes an aggressive fourth down decision and it doesn't work. And absolute Luddites with half a brain cell like Rex Ryan uh, they're on Monday football talk show saying, well, they, they, there's a reason why guys haven't gone for it on fourth down for years. You just don't do it. And that kind of noise, he's going to have to just avoid the noise and continue to buy into his own philosophy. And I think that will be the challenge, L- keeping up and, and living up to expectations and then dealing with those moments when things don't go well. But I have no doubt whatsoever that he can do that because whenever you watch on, on All In after we've just had a bad loss, the way he is with the players, the way he is with the media, he's to me, he's just the perfect organizational figurehead. But I think that'll be his biggest yeah. challenge. Yeah. Uh, okay, I've got a question for you, Kyle. We recently had a, an election in our country and we have a new prime minister. And when these uh, politicians speak in parliament... We have this process where the other sides get to ask each other questions and it's publicly broadcast. But sometimes the same side gets to ask their own party teammates a question. And we call that a Dorothy Dix here in Australia or a Dorothy Dixer. And the idea is it's actually named after this American gossip columnist who used to write her own questions and answer them uh, herself. So the idea is it's an easy question from a friend. So in that spirit, I'm going to ask you a Dorothy Dix question. You wrote this excellent article on Bolts from the Blue called uh, Checking the Cupboard Before Shopping for Linebackers. Yes. And my question to you is, did the Chargers do the right thing letting Kaiser White walk in free agency or will it come back to bite them? I blacked out there for a second when you started talking politics because in America... (laughs) We've had a bad reputation for a few years, and I was waiting for one of those questions. And oh my, so I'm <laughs> no, glad we went right. a different direction. Whew, okay, back to football. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it. It's funny because I, I almost feel like linebacker might be the position where we have, and, we're, and of course, we're not talking about edge. We're separating edge from linebacker, right? From off the ball or from you know interior linebacker. Um, yeah, I really think that might be one of our least, um, one of our positions with, you know, the, the shallowest ceiling, you know, like yeah. we don't have any pro guys scratching pro bowl talent there, but it's a very deep pool 
where they're all almost interchangeable one after another. Like we're not really going to be missing any steps if we're missing players. Um, now, Kaiser White was, a, I believe, in, like a total scheme mismatch for us. And I know that that's... Ooh, it's a hot take. Yeah, that is a hot it's take. Because yeah. he was universally praised for the season he had, but I'm interested to hear you go on. Yeah. I know you've done a lot of thinking about it. I have, I have. And if you look at the... If you look at how Staley uses his linebackers, there's primarily only two coverage assignments they get. That's the hook zone where they just drop back about eight to 10 yards and play the middle of the field, or they're manned up on the running back. And everything that Staley does was really designed to force, you know, shallow passes by creating all these overlapping zone schemes in the defensive backfield. So Kaiser White benefited heavily from a lot of checkdowns that were, you know, put right out in front of him. And his job was to backpedal and then go and attack. And when you watch him in the running game, there's a lot of times where we talked about the tight formation, right? When we had the tight formation in front of him and had three interior defensive linemen with their, you know, hands in the hands in the dirt, he was able to get to the backfield. But when we only had those two, uh, he got washed out of plays regularly Hmm. and you know because what would end up happening is there'd be a guard that would get free because we only had you know our edge players that would Hmm. take up an offensive lineman or a tight end and then an interior defensive lineman and when you didn't have an interior like an interior defensive lineman to kind of take up a little bit of attention from one of those guards they would always have a free run at both of our linebackers or the only one we had on Hmm. the field and Kaiser could not get off a block he's not big enough so I really think we need, you know, I think we're seeing in Staley's acquisitions this offseason that he has physical prototypes at almost every position. And with linebacker, it seems very clear that they need to be at least, you know, I would say 235 at the absolute smallest, mm-hmm. but really at least 250 pounds. And that's yep. because they need to be able to hold up against a guard. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. And Nick, Good answer. And Nick Neiman, I think has every opportunity to be, you know, to fill the role that Kaiser is leaving behind and actually perform a little bit better in that run defense portion of it. But we'll see. I, I know that might not be an opinion shared by the coaching staff yet. We'll, we'll find out. But it's my hope that he gets a really good shot and crack at breaking the lineup. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Right, Cal, you've got another one? Yes, yes. Um, let's go to Andy. Andy, who do you think gets more touchdowns? Parham, McKitty, or Horvath? Oh. Oh. Well, uh, yeah. Who's going to step up? Parham, McKitty, or Horvath? Gee. So, I was chomping at the bit to answer your previous question to Jack regarding the snap count and uh, rotations <laughs> at the tight end. And, yeah, Horvath and McKitty were two of those guys McKitty more so for his blocking. He, you know, came out as an elite, elite blocker. I see him used less in the passing game. Um, Horvath is a real, uh, you know, a real mystique for me. Um, I think his battle with neighbors. I think he has the the catching game as a strength over neighbors um, and the athleticism. I think he played a bit of linebacker in high school beforehand, so he's got that, you know, big body. He recognizes. Yeah, you know, he'll, he'll truck a guy, and I, I I rate him running at a bloke than neighbors. 
Um, and uh, you know he's got that hurdle highlight clip as well. Like he can he he can do some yeah. stuff. And he he's like I said, when you draft a seventh player, usually have a look. Eh, cool. Yep, cool. Let's focus on those guys. If you see those highlights, you go, oh, mama, I want to see it. Um, <laughs> for Donald Parham, um, I I think the answer to your question will be Donald Parham for mine. Uh, he's mm. shown it before. Um, Me too. Me too. Yeah. I've put money on and won money on him uh, scoring tutties. Um, and yeah, look, great things to come out of that uh, interview with him about you know his road to returning in the tight end room. But I think it'll be Parham, Horvath, McKitty to answer your question. Awesome. Gotcha. Jack, man, I'm going to fire over to you. I know uh, Ali's touched on it a little bit, but you are the offensive lineman guy. So being a true lover of the offensive line and considering the current roster situation, does it concern you? And try to not take into consideration what Alistair spoke about before regarding the one to two years of uh, scheme fit. Does it concern you that the Chargers didn't actively seek um, replacements or proper reinforcements at right tackle. So, with the r- roster as it is, what would your ideal lineup be? Considering we've potentially got a couple of uh, rookies in there, what, what would you like to see, and and why? Oh. <clears throat> Jeez, that's that's a big question. Okay, just as long as Senejo Kelemete is nowhere <laughs> near our the field. I think I'm happy, actually. I, 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 it's a low oh, bar. That's a low yeah. bar. Um, I know another of other podcasts and people have written about it, but I sat there during that Denver game watching that and just going, I've never seen more of an incompetent person block. It was quite astounding. Yeah. Anyway, sorry if you're listening, Calamete. I apologize, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, what, what do I look like? But it's true. <laughs> what am I looking like? Okay, so let me take that question and go, I think continuity on the offensive line is really important. You've got a lot of pressure. There's a lot of men um, doing, you know, a lot of um, intensity in what you have to do. It's fast. You have to read really quickly, and having having continuity is is really important when you're trying to execute something uh, of that kind of intensity. So I look at my my lineup is obviously Slater at left tackle. I think we keep Filer at right guard. You obviously have Lindsley under center. I think. I think it's going to be Storm Norton starting at right tackle. I, I really do, purely because I saw enough of him improve last year to go, well, actually, there are some games where he's boring. And if you're an offensive lineman who's boring, you're doing a great job. That right guard, I, I don't know. You know, we've got Jamari Salia, who I everyone's very high on, but he's a six-round pick for a reason. Uh, who's the- Zion? We've got Zion, of course, who I think is going to slot into that right guard position. And listen, if things are going, if things are going awry, um, I don't know if I want a second year player and a rookie on Herbert's blind side. I, I do worry a little bit about that. And you know, we don't necessarily know the connection and how supportive Filer was of Slater as well. Um, is Slater ready to be left out on island with a rookie beside him? Is he ready to lead? Is he ready to communicate what he needs to communicate um, to, to his to his right, uh, to his his right left guard, I should say? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but then we also have, uh, who's the guy from New Orleans we signed? What was his name? Uh, Clap. Will Clap. Will Clap. Yeah. So you've got a little bit of depth there. Um, yeah, I think, I think it is going to be Storm Norton 
uh, and Pipkins is going to be the swing tackle. What happens due to injury and what happens in the preseason, I think is I think that battle is going to be all the way up until week one, mm. and could possibly even be happening in week one, which I worry because there are some pretty decent pass rushes that they're going to have to deal with. Um, well, what Crosby did to Storm it, Norton in week yeah, 18 last season. Wow, you're a bold man lining him up again in week one, but, but it's a redemption story. It could be a redemption like, story. Hey, Staley's go, dude, this is where you win. This is when you win your reps, dude. This is it. Like, show improvement. Yeah. So, yeah, good question. No, that's 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 an interesting point. I think you're sort of, you're right. Continuity is really important from my point of view, um, especially with, you know, nurturing sophomore year of Rashawn Slater. He looked mature enough that you potentially could um, fit Zion Johnson in at left guard. Um, that's where he played a lot of his college career. So you're either keeping continuity and keeping Matt Filer at left guard, and then you're putting Zion Johnson in a position he hasn't really played before um, next to a questionable right tackle or like unsecured spot. So, yeah, it's, thanks for your take. It's a really, um, really interesting way. Cool. And you, like you said, you don't, you, we just... We prefer to see the battle be fought and won sooner than later, so we're not going in with uncertainty and shit on that uh, yeah. that uh, right side. The only the only thing I can't understand with the, this question is because it's a great question; it's one that's on all of our minds. I don't understand how Pipkins is kind of getting it handed to him by so many people oh. when he's never won. He's never won a camp battle, and his camp battles were against Trent Scott. Uh, Sam Tevy and Sam no Sam yeah. Tevy and then um, Storm Norton as you know a undrafted free agent yeah. from the XFL like I yeah. just how how are we just handing him oh yeah you, you've definitely improved to the point where you're finally ready to win a camp battle that just blows my mind yeah. I don't understand yeah. it so yeah hopefully that's not the case yeah well if they keep well, the continuity way okay. then Storm Norton at the moment is the clear front runner but well, this this ties in quite nicely to my next question to you, Kyle, because when Pipkins was coming out of college, uh, he was lauded for having amazing footwork, being a basketball player. Um, and, and my background's basketball. So I love a big man who can move and boogie on the field. <laughs> my question is in the basketball realm, but just don't, don't freak out because it's about football, clearly. Um, the NBA playoffs are at the moment. It's, a, it's an incredible, uh, with the Golden State Warriors uh, versus Boston, um, and it got me thinking, and we've already kind of touched on this, but my question to you, Kyle, is who do you think will be the key sixth man in inverted commas on the roster this year? So for those of you who don't know what the sixth man is or the sixth man award in the NBA, it's that player that comes off the bench that shows improvement or is really integral to his team's success. We talk about these big name signings, these the, the Boses, the JC Jacksons, uh, your Ecklers, your Herberts, all this kind of stuff. But where championships are really won are in those depth pieces. So Kyle, who do you think is going to be our sixth man that we, at the end of our season, go, he was super integral to what we did? Hmm. And that could be offensively or defensively? It can be anywhere, yep. Okay. Um, I would say I, I'm really fired up, and here, here's like a shameless plug. I'm going to hopefully be doing a video on this, you know, a, a week or so from now. But I really did not – I was questioning the JT Woods pick when it happened. And mm. I, I was very, conf I was a little confused because I thought we could have added some bigger impact pieces and was concerned that he would have been available later and felt, it felt like a reach to me at the time. 
But then you look at, as I was talking about before, this desire, and part of that too, guys, was I, I wanted to get that third safety that I was looking for that could come up and play that star role. I had it in my head that we'd be getting the more physical guy to come and fill that role. Yes. But Same. if there's this uh, if there's this opportunity for JT Woods to come in and free up Derwin to play closer to the line of scrimmage more consistently. And and even though he's, you know, it's a lot's been made of him missing tackles, you know, although a lot of people believe it's more something that his technique that can be cleaned up, it's coachable. His ability to quickly read and get to the line of scrimmage or just his gap basically at the second level from being like, you know, 10 yards, 15 yards off the ball, his explosive ability and his ability to read when it's a running play and react on it is going to help us kind of fill up that box. Even when Staley's running that light front, right? So that's kind of a guy that I'm really hoping takes off and frees up Derwin to be the man. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Love it. So that brings me to Alistair. Alistair, sorry, I'm not giving you a, what was her name? Dorothy question? <laughs> yeah, Dorothy Dix. That's okay. You're giving me a hard Dorothy one. That's Dix. fine. You're the opposition. Let's yes. go. Oh, no, actually, it's, you, you were actually just talking about something related to this. So this will feed off of it a bit. Um, okay. So Alistair, Eckler took approximately 61% of our offensive snaps last year, followed by... Justin Jackson at 19%, just about. I'm rounding off here. Kelly at a 12 and Roundtree at 9. So we really just had Eckler and then we really didn't have front runners to really spell him. And certainly yep. not in a significant way or fashion. With us having two significant additions, hopefully significant additions to the running back room and two guys returning, how do you see both Eckler's involvement and well basically how would you like to see it distributed this year in a perfect world it's a great question uh I wouldn't I don't necessarily want to see Eckler's snap count go down significantly maybe a little bit down towards 50 percent maybe we can run more 21 and 22 personnel right maybe we can have two running backs on the field a little more often than we were able to do when we didn't have someone we trust a bit more perhaps like an Isaiah Spiller um and what I think could be nice about Spiller is he may be able to even spell Eckler on third down if we need to, because I know one of his strengths is he's an able pass protector and he does have some ability to catch out of the backfield. How we should deploy them, I think, is a question we need to feel our way through during the preseason. I haven't watched a lot of Spiller, so I can't say right now what I want it to be, but I will be watching keenly. Um, I, what I don't want to see is... Um, robbing Peter to pay Paul. So taking Eckler off the field, who is a guy who had 20 touchdowns last year and he's just such a special player. I I understand wanting to maybe spell him on first down carries and that kind of thing with a bigger back like Spiller, but I don't want to see his production or his usage diminish uh, significantly, if I can put it that way. Uh, All right. I I actually had a question to Andy that was very similar the, uh, to the one that Jack asked me about kind of dealing with the pressure and off-season expectations because, you know, Andy's a St. Kilda supporter and isn't too used to that. Um, but instead, I'll go with my backup question, which is a bit more lighthearted. Uh, Andy, we've got our first and favorite guest on the show, Carl. Uh, who do we think Carl looks more like? <laughs> Alex Smith, the former Kansas City quarterback, or... Uh, Hollywood A-lister Jake oh. Gyllenhaal. 
<laughs> Diggity dog. Uh, well, um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Alex Smith. I think their eyes, it's more the yeah. eyes. Uh, there's definitely some Jake Gyllenhaal in there. Don't get me wrong. Um, for all the audio listeners, our guest is a handsome man. Um, <laughs> Are you feeling awkward yet, Carl? Sorry about that, man. Hey, you told us all those college gaming stories, so we figured you'd be okay with a bit of a bit of, bit of Philadelphia. Oh yeah, my a bit of man love. It, it, it may, and my wife is definitely gonna tune in and watch this, and it makes her giggle every time these jokes are made and references. And it it, it actually happened in our engagement. A photo session this girl came up and was like I oh my gosh you remind me of Jake Chill I, like she was like saying how she saw us taking our photos and I like she, she thought it was Jake and then we were like oh that's cute like that's that's great and then she's like no really like I'm a huge fan and rolled up her sleeve and there's like a tattoo of Donnie <laughs> oh, Darko and okay. that's when my wife went from wow. so Zeta went from oh this is cute to okay we need to leave you got, a a <laughs> you got yourself a stand brother yeah <laughs> 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 No, no good at all. No good at all. All right, Kyle. Kyle, I'm going to throw to you. Um, now, from the draft, free agency, trades, whatever, who do you consider the most important off-season acquisition for the Chargers this year and why? Um, I would say Mac, by far. Um, nice. Yes, and it's not necessarily just because of Mac, the player, but it was a brilliant move, kind of like we discussed before, that before teams were allowed to talk to free agents, it sent a message to everyone in the league that the Chargers are pushing their chips in. Yep. Tom Telesco is doing something he's never done before by trading for a guy that is going to actually you know, take over as a starter. Mm. And you know, parting with a second round pick to not move up a couple spots in the draft yeah. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> like going and getting a guy that's an all pro caliber player and then letting that be the snowball that, you know, rolls into signing JC Jackson, which looks like one of the best contracts around that was signed this off season. Seriously. In- insane. Does that happen without Mac? Um, I don't know that, that, that interests me a lot. And I think mm. it's snowballed and continued to snowball. And so I, I think the first move, was a big move and was the most important move. Awesome. 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 And that is, I have my three questions done. So Andy, did you have somebody okay. else that you needed to ask a question? Uh, yeah, Al, I'll go to you actually um, on that one. Sure. So this is, I guess, a, a extrapolating a little bit on the, the stresses that Staley would face. So I'm going to look at the, the team um, and team success and what you seeing, what you see as being, potentially like the most critical of limitations towards our uh, run at a Super Bowl in 2022. What do you think it might be? Uh, I think it's, it, this is a boring answer, but I think it might be injury health. And knew I kind you were of think say that injuries. the role that that plays in determining success. I knew you were going to say injuries. Is, I think it's relatively underrated. He's- I mean, you can be as great as you want. If Derwin does his ACL in the preseason, right, and JC Jackson does his shoulder in week two, I'm not saying you can't yeah. win. Like the Eagles showed they could win with a backup quarterback, yeah. but it's got to be a significant determinant. Um, otherwise, the the other obvious answer is is kind of pass protection, pass protection, um, maintaining that fortress for Herbert 
and our kind of shaky fortification on the right side of the line that we've discussed. Can Zion hit the ground running? Can Pipkins improve since we haven't drafted a replacement or signed one? That would be my kind of um, second yep. secondary answer. Uh, all right, my final question is to you, Jack. During the end of season presser last year, Brandon Staley said, we're not going to be complacent on offense this offseason. We want to continue to get better and continue to give Justin weapons. Mm. Did the Chargers achieve this or have they been complacent? It depends how you define continue or to give more weapons. I, I mean, I guess the, the, the re-signing of Mike Williams or, or the extension of Mike Williams, you could put into that box of keeping keeping a weapon. The addition of Spiller, the addition of players like Horvath, uh, the addition of someone like a Zion Johnson. Does it always have to mean that it's the, the weapons that Herbert has are to pass to? Not necessarily. It can also mean, uh, I guess, the wider scope of the of the offense. So I'm going to say that even though nothing's flashy, we talk about continuity on the offensive line. Let's talk about continuity in our receiver room. Palmer's got another year. Uh, Keenan Allen has a wonderful connection with with Herbert. Uh, maybe not as strong as he did with Rivers, uh, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, and then you've obviously got Mike Williams, who's arguably had one of the the best um, seasons from a from a, a Chargers wide receiver, uh, other than um, what um, Keenan Allen has been has had over the last number of years. So. I think it's fantastic. I, I think Herbert's feeling pretty is probably feeling pretty good. So yeah. Um, my last question, Andy. This is a really quick one. Uh, you're a man who loves sparks, electricity, and generating power. Uh, so it is rather serendipitous that you're a Chargers fan. Uh, what or who do you think is going to be the biggest spark? that gets us out of our chairs. There's got, there's got to be one play, like the Guyton play last year, that got us out. We just went, holy moly, that is the greatest throw I've ever seen, to quote a famous Chargers analyst. So what do you reckon? Who's it going to be and when's it going to happen? That is a really a tough, tough question. question. Now, I could go, I could go with a, a star who does amazing things week in, week out, but... I've really started to enjoy the the Horvath train today and watching those that hurdle highlight. Oh. I just feel like well, I'm looking at it from not the perspective of a superstar yeah. making a superstar play because Love we've it. got yeah. expectations this year and while we do need to temper them, we're still going to see that stuff. It's still going to get us off the couch, but when you see a guy who gets picked in the 7th round hurdle uh, an undersized cornerback and bang gone to the house. Oh man. I can feel it now. Coffee tables are getting flipped. I'm kicking holes in the wall. <laughs> Shirts off. Um, yeah. Wally's dead. Wally, Wally's, Wally, my dog, has uh, packed it in. My partner's gone as well. She's had enough. Um, and that's that's the sort of spark. So, uh, yeah, I'll give you that Good one. Good answer. Nice. I love it. Unique answer too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just fitting in with um, yeah this fun train of Xander Horvath I've been running on. It's good. Well, Andy, that Andy, that might even be it, like, it could be a hurdle with him. It could be a goal line. Like mm. instead of a round tree fumble or something like that, a he's, you know, takes it in behind Zion and trucks oh. three guys on the oh, way in there, yeah. drags some bodies. Like yeah. I, I love that. We've got some smash mouth football. Yeah. Coming yeah. Our yeah. Way. Mike Talbot, yeah, that is Mike Talbot bowling ball stuff. We're just, 
blokes of pins just getting knocked out at all angles. <laughs> yeah, big pancake or something like that. That'll definitely get the blood flowing. All right, that was good fun going around the horn yeah. and um, challenging each other with a bit of uh, fun lines of questioning. So without further ado, um, the reason, the main reason that we've got the, the super analyst uh, Kyle on our show, we prepared a little bit of a homework, which I'll let Kyle explain. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's get ourselves into... Uh, Kyle's Corner. Hit it, Jack. I would not count on it just yet. Yeah, do keep receipts. What if Tom does want to bring in a free agent, even though his buddy Kyle did him in a Cantanio is begging him not to? And I went 0 for 4. But I also don't think there's any excuse for him not to get that kind of production when he has so much talent around him. Based on my projections, what I'm hoping for... Kyle's oh my gosh i just had my receipts and i'm owing four oh perfect oh man guys that was you guys are making me blush making me feel real special i appreciate it so yeah let's uh let's cruise into kyle's corner real quick now's the now's the appropriate time to uh pull up my slides right Oh, yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Giving the YouTube viewers out there a little bit of extra juice if you're watching on YouTube. Also, don't forget, click the like while you're at it, please. And uh, enjoy these slideshows that Carl's prepared oh, for us. Thank you. Thank you for filling in some gaps there for me, Alistair. Now, you guys can see this all right, right? We're all good? Yep. yep. Yeah. All right. So... The boys gave me a really good question that, uh, to come on this podcast with uh, because there's been a lot of talk and we've been talking about, you know, how we have kind of gone through a roster overhaul in this offseason. So many defensive starters have been replaced. Even offensively, we brought in some studs uh, to fill some starting roles. And it was asked to me, what do you think is, you know, it, are you concerned at all with how much overturn we've had or how much of a turnover, I guess I should say, we have? And is there a any like data that would suggest that we've had too much turnover or if we're right where we need to be? So that's what we're asking today. Uh, measuring continuity in championships, is it valid to be concerned that the Chargers have had too much of an overhaul this offseason? So to measure this, it was kind of a difficult question to measure. Like we discussed it a little bit uh, as we did kind of a pre-production call a week ago. You know, how do you, how do you really break this down and measure it? Do you, are you measuring studs? Like how many pro bowlers you've let go or brought back? Are you measuring it based on, you know, how many uh, internal guys you've kept and re-signed versus um, versus brought in free agents to fill positions. There's a couple different ways you could look at this, but the, what, what I kind of settled on was, first, how many snaps... I, I was going to measure it in two different ways. First, how many snaps were taken on every side of the ball by returning players and how many from new acquisitions. So that's one way of measuring continuity, just snaps and whether they were from a guy that just got acquired or from a guy that was returning to the team. And second, how many core players... And I, I established core, and this is totally just subjective by me, but as somebody that had a significant enough role to be on the field for 30% of that side of the ball's snaps. 
how many of those core players were returning players and how many were new acquisitions. And my limitations were basically individual qualitative traits I really couldn't measure as continuity for the team, you know, be it leadership, previous familiarity with scheme, things of that nature. And then quantitative data was left off of this, like, you know, anything, age, contract, PFF scores, Pro Bowls, et cetera. We're strictly looking at snap count and players, whether they are new or whether they um, are coming back. So I love the little <laughs> sentence at the end for the audio listeners. He said, these go- these have been excluded for the sake of my day job. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you're not being paid for this. Yeah, yeah. so and th- the reason being, some of these things I can, you know, just scrub data for. And this still takes hours upon hours upon hours of scrubbing this data. But to get things like age, contract, PFF scores, then it turns into, okay, let's individually look at these guys, where they've come from, what their scores are, and start manually inputting, which is going to ruin me. So yes, we we ixnade that really quick. So we're going to go back over the five previous championship teams. And basically what I'm going to do is show how they did the season before, because obviously that matters to us. We only know how the Chargers did last year. We don't know how they're going to do this year, and we're trying to project out based on how last season went, how our off seasons have, how our off season has gone, and now where we are going. So, starting with the Eagles, who won in 2017. In the 2016 season, their record was seven and nine. They had the 16th ranked scoring offense, the 12th ranked scoring defense. Now, in 2017, when they turned around and won the Super Bowl, their record was 13-3. and They obviously went 3-0 in the playoffs. They had the third highest-ranked scoring offense and the fourth highest-ranked scoring defense. Wow. So my, what a great team. And a, it was a great team and a fun one to watch. Now, hmm. I'm going to start by – before I introduce my findings on each team, I'm going to ask one of the guys a question. So, Jack, I'm going to start with you. Besides the Eagles going on an absolute Cinderella story of a playoff run, what do you remember being some key themes to the Eagles' success? That's a good question, actually. Um, I did a, I, I sort of knew you were, you were going to sort of throw to me, so I've just had a look really quickly at um, uh, comparing because I've also got Tampa Bay, which we'll look at in, in, in a couple of minutes' time. The the PFF individual ratings for defensive and offensive players. Um, and the one thing that I guess if you're if I'm taking your question, um, just the amount of pro bowlers that uh, Philly had in their 2017 season, in their championship winning season, you had Carson Wentz, even with an injury, was a pro bowler, um, Malcolm Jenkins, Zach Ertz, Brandon Brooks, uh, Lane Johnson and Fletcher Cox. Uh, and you had the All-Pro as, as Jason Kelsey. So you've got a hell of a lot of um, really quality players um, that, that are quite high in your PFF rankings. Interestingly enough, that what Philly both have is they have 12 to 15 players that are above the 70 grade that PFF give. So you are talking about a majority of your starting offensive and defensive roster who are pushing into that above average, um, into that elite stratosphere. So I looked at that and compare it and, and I started thinking about, well, you know, obviously, if we look at defensive ratings for Philly, it's Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, uh, Patrick Robinson, Chris Long, Michael Kendricks. You know, those guys are those guys are 80, 80 or above, which is elite. You've got your Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, mm. um, Carson Wentz, Jason Peters, Zach Ertz. 
I think we have that on our roster. I just wonder where your Timmy Jernigans are. Mm. I wonder who are going to be our our Malcolm Jenkins, our Corey Clements, um, your Trey Burtons, th- that kind of stuff. So from what I can see is that what I remember of that team is they were solid across the park, which means that they could withstand losing their quarterback. Mm-hmm. No, those, those are great points and great notes. I, I feel the same way. It was, it was, it felt like one of the most deep teams we had seen in a while, especially defensively. And mm. to kind of point out what I found here. So here, here's how I'm displaying this data. So on the left-hand side, for those that are watching and for those that are just listening, I'll be able to articulate and verbally walk everyone through this. But I have listed the returning players and their snap counts. So on offense, they had we had 71.75% of the snaps coming in from returning players versus just a little over 28% coming from new additions. On defense, we had 67, just just over 67% of the snaps being taken by returning players and almost 31% being new additions. And on special teams, we had almost 62% versus 38% being new. Now, in terms of core, we returned 11 core players from offense and added three. We had 10 returning on defense as our core and we added an entire seven. So they brought in a lot of extra core guys to be to take to play significant roles, which, you know, as we go through this data, that's actually going to be, I believe, the most amount of like core players or the most that was the highest count of players that played over 30% of the snaps um, on any given team. So I thought that was very interesting. They were very deep. They were very um rotation heavy, which really helped them succeed, I feel like. Now, a couple extra notes about the Eagles as it relates to continuity, or I guess one extra note. Very important thing about this team is this coaching staff was in its second year. So you had head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator all with each other for their for their going into their, you know, second year and they turned it around and mm won the Super Bowl after a seven and nine start. And that's what the Chargers are looking at this season, being in, you know, their second year Amazing. under this regime. Yeah. So I guess what would make the most sense is I will continue going. And if you guys have extra notes as we go, we can fill them in at the end. Yeah. yeah. Does that I, make sense? And, and Kyle, yeah. just right. just on that, um, you know, just one little thing. Yeah. I, again, I'll use PFF ratings as a as an example, but Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Chris Long, Vinnie Curry. Half of your top six are defensive linemen on uh, sorry, mm-hmm. of, on defense. Philly offensive ratings. You've got Jason Kelsey at the top. Uh, Brandon Brooks, which is your guard. Jason Peters, Lane Johnson. And so those are three of five of your top five. So pretty clear that the way that Philly won or one of the avenues was to have those two big lines solid. Trenches, baby. So, Trenches, baby. Um, that's something that I also found quite interesting. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, and and like we were saying, and they rotated them through and, you know, kept like kept their defensive linemen fresh, which is something, again, that we've kind of done this season. We we added more bodies than we lost, which 100%. was good. So now moving on to the Patriots. 
Yeah, this one's no. not as fun. <laughs> who, uh, who likes talking about the Patriots? Uh, but uh, <laughs> we have the 2017 season, which led up to their offseason that got them into the Super Bowl again. They were um, in 2017, they were 13 and three, went two and one in the playoffs. Their scoring offense was ranked second, and their defense was ranked fifth. In 2018, their record was 11 and five in the regular season, but then they went on a burner in the playoffs, went three and0, won the Super Bowl, had the fourth highest ranked offense scoring offense and seventh highest ranked scoring defense. Very interesting that yeah. their stats actually trended down in 2018, but they turned it around and you know got it done in the playoffs, uh, you know, courtesy of Tom Brady. So Alistair, where would you guess? The Patriots outpaced all other teams in terms of continuity. Ooh. Uh, off, I'd say offensive starters, continuity-wise, would have been consistent. That would be my like guess. Like the core players, pretty much? That's right, the key ones. Except I do know that Edelman basically missed all of 2017 with an ACL and then he was probably a big part of why they succeeded coming back. But I'd still... So maybe not core, just returning snaps on offense across the whole gotcha. team. And I did, and I did count Edelman as a returner. That was one thing I had to go okay. manually fix because mm-hmm. when, I, when I graded all these, I was running off of who took snaps in, you know the year before mm-hmm. and who did in the next year. So then I had to correct myself. I was like, okay. oh, no, Edelman was around. So he will count. Yes. Um, okay. All right. And on that basis, <laughs> then I'll change it to core. Okay, <laughs> to change it to core players. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, all right. So they were very strong in core, yes. Or sorry, for their returning oh, wow. players on offense. They returned eighty over 81% of their snaps were taken by returning players against 18% by new. Defensively, they had seventy, almost 78% of their snaps taken by returning defensive players. And on special teams, they had 79% of their snaps being taken by by returning players on special teams. Now, And also, why, Kyle, why wouldn't you when you, seriously, you went 13-3 and three the year before. You basically, you could have won the Super Bowl. Such a great established culture and team. This did not surprise me that they returned such high, a high volume and percentage of players. Yeah, definitely. Now, what was interesting to me, Alistair, was I was asking compared to like the other teams, right? Or like where, where, Mm. um, let me read. Where do you guess the Patriots outpaced all other teams in terms of continuity? Believe it or not, one team outpaced them in their offensive returning players. It was actually, now I I need to go back and double check if that was core or not, because you did point out core. So you might still be correct, but it was actually special teams that they outpaced everybody by a significant amount in terms of snaps showing that that's just something that Bill Belichick really uh, favors is having continuity there. I mean, one of the guys was Matthew Slater that still, you know, got re-signed this last offseason as one of their special team stud. So thought that was very unique and interesting. Mm. And then for those that are listening, the core players that were returned and added on, uh, we had 13 core players returning back. With two on offense, with two being added, injected into the offense. One of those being Trent Brown that I did a video on before yep. with compensatory yep. picks. Yep. There's a casual mm-hmm. little plug. Uh, on defense, <laughs> we returned 11 core guys and 
added on an extra four. So overall, the Patriots actually maintained a lot of continuity uh, between yeah. the previous year, which makes sense, right? They they had a very successful year prior. So why change too much? Moving on to 2019 with the Kansas City Chiefs. This is my favorite one that. to go wow. over. Um, yeah, so in um, what, what I loved about this looking at this as a case study is it really mirrors how the chargers did last year outside of us, not quite making it to the playoffs. So let me hedge that real quick, but we had a very, very lopsided um, performance last year on offense. We were ranked like fifth in scoring offense and on defense. I think we were back of the, like all the way, you know, 29th. That was at it. Yeah. Just back of the pack. So that mirrors the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit, even though they're a little bit better in both areas. Um, I think this is the team that we emulate the most. And we'll get into what they did to improve this in just a second. But let's see, 2019, they improved, they they kept their record static at 12 and 4. They went 3 and 0 in the playoffs and won the Super Bowl. Their offense actually got a little bit statistically worse, just, mm. just statistically, to drop back to fifth as they went for a more balanced approach and their scoring defense improved That's to seventh. Huge. So, Andy, I'm going to swing this one over to you. What do you think was the greatest addition to the Chiefs that spurred this improvement? Um, ooh, it's a good one. That's a good question. There's probably two guys. Um, if you're asking directly about what how their scoring defense improved, there's two guys that I think were absolutely pivotal to their defense improving in the manner that it did in 2019. And that was the addition of defensive end Frank Clark from Seattle. But I think the one that takes it over is Tyron Matthew, um, the addition mm. of the safety. And him coming in just really... Uh, it just A guy like him in the, in the back, in the secondary really plays on the mind of, of quarterbacks and he for, forces uh, turnovers and takes interceptions. So I think Tyron Matthew, there was, there was a few really important pieces because yeah, like you said, they, they deteriorated a little bit in on the offense, um, but the, the defense really improved from a few, not over the top um, inclusions in free agency or trade, but um, yeah, a special mention also to uh, one Juan Thornhill, who was a rookie that year and started all, all games, I think. And they had Chavarius Ward, an undrafted free agent who signed at the start of the 18 season. Who So you're getting uh, two starting positions out of um, young guys as well. Uh, doing a great job there. So defense improved nicely. But I'd, I'll stay with Tyron mm-hmm. Matthew to answer your question. Yeah, no, those are those are great, great picks. There's there's even some more, like Alex Okafer yep. um, had a decent snap count as a rotational guy. Five sacks, Rashad Breeland. I mean, they they just really bought in and, and added a bunch of core guys onto their defense. On offense, like I mentioned before, they returned almost 82% uh, of their snaps. On defense, they actually were under the 50% threshold wow, with wow. snaps returned. Uh, just over 46%. And then on special teams, wow. they hovered at about 71. So they brought mm-hmm. on almost half of the half of the defense. Over half of the defense was replaced, yep. and just under half of the core guys were new guys. Yep. So a lot of, lot of mm-hmm. depth turnover, as well as significant starters on defense. That, to me, guys, is what 
our off season looks the most like. Yep. So I would say we're following this model quite a bit. Yep. We should expect a significant improvement on defense. What I also thought was interesting was this was Steve Spagnola. Is it Steve Sp- Spagnola or Nola? Steve Sp- yeah, yeah. Spagnola? Right. Spagnola. It was his first season. You're the Italian guy. So this team. <laughs> so this team, although they were, I, I'm measuring this as teams around the, the players around the team last year, these guys that were returning, were also learning a new system. So you can almost say all these guys mm. were learning a new yeah. system. So that's a little interesting tidbit. They yep. were uh, just kind of mm. thrown into the fire. I'll add to that as well. So just now, an, on the interesting, uh, they, yeah. the chiefs released two of their tenured vets in, uh, well, the two the two main defensive additions that I spoke about, Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew, replaced uh, Justin Houston and Eric Berry. So, it's not necessarily something that we've done by getting rid of old guys and bringing in no. younger. Um, but you mm-hmm. know, they they've obviously had to make a tough call by getting rid of those two guys to actually strive through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, look, I think we'll see a, maybe a similar thing with the de- um, the comparison of defensive percentage snaps. I, I did. I did yeah, want to. I did want to touch yeah. on you know the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs and the 2018. The quick strike ability of their offense gives their defense the freedom to do what they what they want to do. There's not. I, I would say that there's not a lot of pressure on that defense. You know, if the defense is having a bad game, more you know more than 80 percent of the time, the Chiefs just can just go quick strike touchdown, quick strike touchdown, done. We're back in it. So. Um, that's that that, that the, the symbiosis or that the relationship between their offense and their defense was was perfect in those two years. Um, they started doing point. that a lot down the stretch as yeah. well, especially as their defense started to uh, last year rather. Um, oh, I remember that Texans playoff game where they were down twenty four, yeah, you know, or whatever, and they just went within, oh, within yeah. minutes. They were leading, oh, it. In- incredible. No. Tata Bill O'Brien. That was that was his high point yeah. and his low point at the same time. <laughs> All right. Well, now moving on to the Tampa Bay Bucks in the 2019 season when they had Winston, you know, manning the helm at quarterback. They went seven uh, seven and nine. They had the third highest scoring offense, mm. which was really interesting, and the 29th highest scoring defense. In 2020, they went 11 and five. Uh, and then 4-0 and in the playoffs with the third highest scoring offense, the eighth highest scoring defense, and a very senior quarterback, uh, which was wonderful for them. <laughs> lucky lucky sons of guns. Uh, Tom Brady just came in and did, did amazing things. So, Jack. I don't know, Kyle. I, I'm looking at your data then. It looks like Tom Brady did nothing, right? The offense went from third to third, and the defense went from 29th to eighth, like we all knew all along. Oh, you're, it was just the playoff yeah, wisdom, that's right. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jack, I'm going to flip this one to you. What did the Bucks do this off in that offseason to improve their defense so much? Well, again, this can I can sort of tie into the, some of the research that I did based on um, a little bit of PFF. But my, I, I'm going to throw it back to you before I answer that, Kyle. Who was Tampa Bay's only pro bowler for the 2020 season? Oh my gosh. I didn't check this out. Um, Man. Um, I will, I want to give you a weird answer because I feel like it's, it's, it can't be, I I feel like Brady would be too easy. Um, Let me throw out. Oh my. 
it's a dirt. weird it's, it's something that i didn't oh i'm gonna go tristan worfs Good, very, Wolves. very good answer, and that I would go there as well. But fun, funnily enough, we talk. Oh. About, I looked at the Philly, and they had Pro Bowlers and All Pros everywhere. The only Pro Bowler for the Super Bowl winning season for Tampa Bay was Jason Pierre-Paul. Oh, incredible! Wow. Inc- incredible! And he rated in a PFF ranking of the top 15 of the defensive players of the Tampa Buccaneers, his rating was 15 out of 15. He wasn't even in the top five. So what, <laughs> what? what the hell is going vote. on? Because you've got players on. like Levante David, Devin White, Tom Brady, Ronald Jones was up there that year. You've got Carlton Davis had yeah. an incredible uh, season. Shaq Barrett had a great year. Mm. Ali Marpet. And you've got Tr- Tristan oh, yeah. Worth. So to, to, to sort of in a roundabout way answer your question, Kyle, what did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do? They just found guys that did their job and experienced guys across both offensive and defense. Are they superstars making all pros and pro bowls? No, um, because the ceiling of the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of PFF was a lot higher. Um, you know, most of the offensive and defensive players for the Bucks were hovering around 66 to 78. There's hardly any any over that pushing into that elite, which was which is 80 an 80 grade or above, which is incredible. So they just found guys that came in and did their job. Yeah, yeah. I, Interesting. I can't disagree with that one bit. Um, there's another crazy thing to point out from this, guys. Uh, they almost returned all their defensive players. That's amazing. In fact, the only core player that they added was rookie Antoine Winfield. Mm, yeah, and yeah. played well. And he, and, he, and he played great. What they, what they did was brought in players that could not turn the ball over. The year before, in 20, 2019, that was the season that Jameis was like, what, the 30 for 30 club? 30 for 30, Just yeah. Just slinging it, slinging it, getting, getting the points, getting was a – fantasy football manager's dream come true because he's putting up the points, but he's also turning the ball over and leaving his defense in very precarious positions. So they brought in five new core players against the nine that they returned. They returned 62, almost 63% of their snaps from the year before. They, But they returned a, a whole 85, almost 86% of the defensive snaps from the year before. And then a little over 71% of the special team snaps. So, I mean, wow. That was a total of like uh, just 73.5% of their snaps were returning snaps. That was a big like shocker to me. I don't know about you guys. And I think I think that worked well, Jack. Uh, seeing this um, breakdown... What do you was that something that you would have expected? Uh, not not really, but I guess what ne- what it looks like now is that's the Brady factor, right? Offense scoring is third from mm-hmm. year, from year to year, from 2019 to 2020, but they've obviously when I say I'm going to re- I'm going to rephrase what I said, they found guys that did their job. Actually, the guys who were on the team suddenly had a quarterback or there was a level of professionalism that just raised and they were able to do their job and they were motivated. So there's there, therein lies perhaps the Brady factor. I, I would not have guessed that their core uh, defense was 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 12 and they only they only got one. I would never have guessed that. That's incredible. It's that it's that really yuck mantra that Brady has come with me and we'll win a Super Bowl. But 
Hey, hey, hey! Look, look, look! What his presence yeah. did to all the guys that he brought in as well. So there, there's, and there's also something to be said about um, again getting back to our team. This was our second. Or this was their mm. second year with a new head coach and new offensive coordinator and new defensive coordinator. So yeah. there's something to be said about this second year teams having that mm. adjustment period for one year and then coming in and kicking butt in that second year when they've been able to identify where their problems are, address them, and come out of the gate running. Amazing. So last team to look at, the 2021 Los Angeles Rams. The uh, 2019 season, they went 10-6. and six. Uh, Then in the playoffs, they went 1-1. Uh, one and one, And... Uh, they were they, they goffed it a little bit. They had the twenty second. They had the twenty second scoring offense, the first scoring defense, and then in oh, I accidentally put in an extra eight there. Sorry guys. In twenty twenty, their record was twelve and five. They went four and zero yep. in the playoffs. Their scoring offense was eighth in the league, and their scoring defense was fifteenth. This one kind of this was a year of parity, right? I mean, they, this was a statistical anomaly having this low of rankings for to, in making it all the way to the um, championship. So that kind of blew my mind. But this yeah. question, Alistair, uh, in a segment about continuity, how much of the Rams' success do you attribute to the Von Miller pickup? Mid-season, sorry, the uh-huh. mid-season Von Miller pickup. I think it had a significant impact. How how much? I've, I would say it it, it was uh, it co- it was causally related with them winning the Super Bowl, especially to your point on on paper when you look at their scoring offense and defense and their their win loss during the regular season. They don't necessarily stand out to you as being a Super Bowl team, but once you're in the tournament, it doesn't really matter, does it? It matters who makes the big plays in the big moments. You can go on a, on a run. And Von Miller had a serious impact in that respect. Against the Bucks in the Super Bowl, he really lifted, I'm sure, in the locker room. They kind of galvanized that side of the ball, which had a pretty good year anyway. Um, yeah, so I thought he, he was quite significant. And, and when I look at this team, I feel like this is one of those rare outliers where uh, you, it does seem to be a few star acquisitions that has made all the, the difference. Obviously, Matt Stafford under center is the big one. But then even Odell Beckham at wide receiver, right? He made a couple of big plays before he got injured in the Super Bowl and Von Miller. So that's rightly or wrongly, they're the things that stand out to me with this Rams teams. Um, a couple of superstars who really mm. lifted and, and dragged them across the line. Definitely, definitely. So looking at their snap breakdown, um, this was another team that fielded a lot of Defensive wow. core players. Even though they only ret- even though they brought on three, oh, they had fourteen defensive core players. Wow. And that level of pl- th- that amount of players getting over thirty percent of your snap snap ch- share is incredible. Um, so just to read over all the findings with our listeners, they basically returned just under seventy percent of their offensive snaps from twenty nineteen. Oh, oh, that is no, that's correct. Sorry, yeah, from twenty nineteen. They returned 84, just over 84% of their defensive snaps. Their special teams had an overhaul. Oh, I, had a, I have a typo here, so let me correct that. Um, their special teams was 51% new and 48% was a new addition. So kind of 50-50 there. 
Sorry about that typo over there to the right. But and then in terms of core, returning players made up nine nine core players on offense, fourteen players on defense. New additions made up four four new additions on offense and three new additions on defense. What I thought was really interesting too that I didn't see amongst other teams because I know we've talked about this both on bolts from the blue, uh, just in our own conversations, but. The Rams, like Alistair was just saying, are a team that goes out and identifies studs and isn't afraid to trade or pay for them in the uh, free agency. Mm. This team actually had a notable amount of players that emerged from their depth previously into core roles in this season. They had five players yep. go from under 20% snap shares to go to basically double their snap wow. share the next season. Uh, which was very interesting to see. So developmentally, they seem to be a very, very good team with that as well. Probably goes to their and to that point, Kyle. Like, yeah, exactly. And even if they're trading some high round picks for stars, what they've done well at, and Liz Snead has done well at, is hitting in the fourth to seventh rounds. Mm-hmm. So when guys like John Johnson walk or Troy Hill, suddenly you're replacing them with guys who aren't embarrassing themselves like Jordan Fuller and Ernest Mm. Jones and Nick Scott and everyone focuses on the superstar but that approach does not work if you don't have the requisite depth to fill those other spots that you lose from players who walk in free agency certainly certainly and trying to see if I had any other bonus notes on them but I really don't believe so it was just the fact that they had so many guys step up and really Really blew my mind. And Eric Weddle, sorry, late in the year. That was my other note. I should have mentioned him, of course, as Chargers fans. Pretty impressive what he did coming off, you know, playing pickup basketball. And he was a key contributor in that Super Bowl after hurting himself right at the start of the game. Just what a story. That might be his uh, Hall of Fame nomination secured right there. Not just the all pros, mm-hmm. but then the story when he kind of comes do, in and helps. Do you reckon, uh, do you reckon Tom Telesco will get a shout out in his Hall of Fame speech then? <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, so considering you know, the, the the below the belt way that Eric Weddle likes to attack the yeah. Chargers, so maybe he will. Thanks for nothing, Tom. I got here anyway. Tom will be he'll, like, "Hey, you, you said me be, name, man. Whatever." He'll he'll be one of those legend add-ins that they do like twenty or thirty years from now, and he'll still yeah. bring it up. Nah. He'll be like, "What do you think now, <laughs> Tom? Where are you? How do you like me now? Let's go." <laughs> yeah, and we'll all, and we'll be on bolts from the blue still. <laughs> Just getting in fights amongst each other about whose fault it was. Tagging articles written 30 years ago. Just on on the the contrast of those two seasons, obviously, like we've spoken about it, but the the goff for Stafford was massive on the... um, Mm -hmm. And the, you know, OBJ and and the like on on offense as well. They, um, like you said, the Rams really know how to target the guys that, you know, we'll get them there. So it's uh, it's cool because that's uh, you know, there's you notice as we've gone through these five teams, there's bits and pieces of each kind of philosophy that we're seeing in the Chargers' approach to this most recent off season, and they're good. They're good little tidbits of mm. each way about it. Oh yeah, I I was having a great betting season until um, till the playoffs because of the Rams. Because I kept going, oh Stafford's going to really choke eventually, yeah. and I kept yeah. Uh, yeah. betting against him. It's Detroit's fun, uh, yeah. yeah. No. Well, that's what I get. So going over the Chargers transition. So first, I'm, I wanted to show you guys our core players on both sides of the ball because I kind of did the snap counts differently moving on from that. So 
on the yep. left-hand side of this chart to the left, we have our core offensive players. And I know we have uh, people listening, so I'll read them off real quick. But it's Herbert, Eckler, Allen, Williams, Guyton, Palmer, Parham, Slater, Norton, Filer, Lindsley. And then we – so those are the ones that we've returned and we've repla- or and we lost Cook and Schofield. Now, in losing Cook and Schofield, they've been replaced with players that I believe are going to take basically that snap count, if not more. Zion should take more yep. because Schofield was split between um, O'Day and his snaps. But Everett and Zion should be filling in for those snaps. And then I think Spiller might have an opportunity to take an above 30% um, snap count as well. Although we only had one core running back, I think – you know, there's a very good chance we see him taking between 30 and 40% of snaps. Especially like Alistair was saying, like the opportunity to flex Eckler out into a more receiver role just as a gadget play for the Chargers, you know, put him in the slot, do something fun with him. That opportunity could mm-hmm. present itself. On the defensive side of the ball, we have, or we had, Bosa, Tillery, Covington, Murray, Tranquil, Davis, Samuel, Cam, uh, Tavon Campbell, sure. Alohi Gilman, James Adderley, and the players that we had but have lost were Nuosu, Jones, Joseph, White, Fackrell, and Harris. Now it's really that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of guys lost. But what's interesting is we pretty much have our our replacements for everyone that we've lost budgeted mm. in already. And as you can see, I had to fill in guys for our current starters that are probably going to be representing upgrades, which is, well, will be representing Mm -hmm. upgrades, which is very exciting. It's not just like for like losses. Like I believe almost every one of these new players that replaced somebody that was leaving is going to be an upgrade. Troy Reader is probably the one exception, Mm -hmm. but his snaps are going to be taken by, you know, that's going to be either Murray, Tranquil, whoever fills in, I think is going to be able to do it at a Kaiser White level. Um, but I mean, it's upgrades all around. And then we have these, this ex- these extra sprinkles on top, which is great. Um, so mm-hmm. what I did when I looked at the chargers snap counts was I first measured it based on, as we did before snaps played by a t- player that returned to the team and snaps played by a new player. Then I took another measurement real quick and determined snaps played by a player that has played with Staley for a season. So I'm taking on, you know, guys that were that have played within Staley's system already because I think we can kind of count them as scheme fits. Mm-hmm. They already know it. Some yeah. of them might be able to teach it to some of the younger guys better than they previously understood it. Um, so what that did was replace I basically plugged in like Mac all of a sudden became a scheme fit piece of continuity. Same as Sebastian Joseph Day. Um, Let's see. Reader. uh, Kyle Van – or not Kyle Van Noy. Sorry. Bryce Callahan. And I actually backed out – yep, and Fox and Morgan Fox. But I actually backed out Michael Davis's snaps because I believe his are going to be replaced by J.C. Jackson. And he might be, you know, Mm. knocked down to like a Gilman type snap count or something like that. So added in the scheme fits, took away the snaps that J.C. Jackson is going to be taking as a scheme fit. So where did the Chargers land? In terms of offensive continuity, the Chargers 
mm. are ranked third. You know, we we're, we're kind of mid middle mid pack, but you know, I'd say upper mid pack. You had the Rams and Bucks not hitch a not hit a seventy percent returning snaps threshold, and we're all the way at seventy eight. The Chiefs at eighty two, and the Patriots at eighty one and a half. You know, I, we're not far off from them. Not enough, I think, to you know influence a win. Mm. You know, during the regular season or the playoffs by any means. Now, when we look at our, you know, at ourselves on the defensive side of the ball, we are on the lower end. Now, like I said, I see the Chiefs as being our closest case study in how the Chargers attacked this offseason by recognizing they needed to do a complete overhaul and brought in a bunch of guys to strengthen that side of the ball because it was we were so offensive heavy uh, in all of our rankings. But even in doing so, we're very close to the Eagles who were again in the second year of their system at the time. But, you know, we're kind of a far stretch away from guys like the Patriots, Rams, and Bucks. Sitting at 66% and seeing that the Patriots, two slots above us, were, you know, almost 78%, there's quite a bit of a jump to make. Where there's room for hope is when I did judge it off the scheme Ooh. fit, which is what I did here. We jump all the way wow, to number wait. one. Mm. Well, that's six, 16 core players on this team have played in Brandon Staley's scheme before. That represents more continuity and know-how, potentially, just if we're playing with this little theory, yeah. than any of these other teams have, even the Bucks when they returned almost their whole defense. And that's 16 players. I mean, that's a Amazing. big deal. Mm. So what do you guys think about that way of looking at this? I'll start off with you, Andy. Sorry, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll navigate it. For no, that's all right. Um, first of all, thanks, thanks for for doing all that and going through all that. That's, um, yeah, it really opens your eyes, um, and surprises you to a bit. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting seeing this last right hand column of the of the table having an eighty just shy of eighty six percent defensive continuity. Whether it all comes into fruition will be um, probably the biggest part of it all but uh, very exciting and, and promising like I said just before when I interrupted you about the little tidbits of various of these successful championship teams that their off seasons or the way they transitioned into their their championship year um, there's just little bits that are really promising to have seen from us so there's I mean there's there's no reason why this can't uh, just try not to get too far ahead of ourselves but uh, why this can't transition into success so hmm. yeah Awesome. Um, yeah, uh, Jack. Any any discoveries oh, from you? This has been fantastic. I um, even just looking at uh, Tampa Bay and Philly and, and sort of trying to can sort of compare uh, what you've just presented and where we're at. You know what? At least we're doing something. We're doing something that Super Bowl winning teams do. You know, it's not this ephemeral, nebulous kind of. What's Staley's strategy here? Is that we can all as you know. Um, uh, as people who support the charges, not analysts, not paid by anyone to, to to look at numbers and and coach or do anything, we're doing something. We're doing something that successful organisations have done, and now there's clear in this in these metrics, there's evidence of it. So that's super exciting for me, and awesome job that that 16 core return at 86 percent essentially has put us above the Bucks and the Rams. Boy, oh boy, that is exciting. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kyle. Oh, no worries, no worries. And Alistair... And I think that's what's clever about that, Kyle, mm -hmm. uh, is just to piggyback on what Jack's saying. I mean, it's not... It, it, you would not think that since we actually, if you just look at continuity, 
we've had a lot of turnover on the defensive side of the ball. My takeaway is for you to have decided to look at that as not really change because these guys who have come in have played in the scheme before. So if we assume that um, core players, you know, you can it counts players who played in the scheme. It's a very interesting and clever way to look at it. Um, what d- probably doesn't surprise me is uh, it's hard to draw any key inferences from the data, at least on face value here. There are different ways of slicing the bread, right? There are different ways of cutting up your team. Some teams have had significant roster change on one side. Others have done it a different way. Um, it looks like the Eagles had fairly significant change on both sides in, in some respects. So I don't know. I was thinking initially maybe, well, okay. One thing I do feel comfortable about now from the data is a lot of change on one side of the ball is okay. Mm-hmm. Teams have done it. In the quest to make sure you have a more balanced team and that you have your offense and defense both ranking in the top 10 or top 15, making wholesale change on one side of the ball is fine. There's a recipe for it. Teams like the Chiefs have done it. Um, and so that that's my key takeaway. Thanks again for all the work, Kyle. That was very instructive. And hopefully enough info for yourself that you can turn this into an article or use it on Guilty as Charged or wherever else you're on podcast. So it's not to waste. I was going to ask if that would be all right with you guys if I expanded on this. Yeah, it's your IP. Go for it. Absolutely. And and piggybacking off what you said, Alistair, I mean, you're right in looking at that. There's actually only one team that didn't um, have, like, hit the 60% threshold on one side of the ball. And that's the Patriots. Everyone else, Chiefs, yes, they were strong offensively, but they only returned 46%. Patriots were the only ones that were 81-77. I mean, we're we're looking pretty good. Eagles were 67 on defense, even though they were 71 on offense. Like that's that's an interesting point to make. So then looking at the overall deal with and this is with special teams being included in there. Um the scheme-adjusted Chargers would be ranked second in terms of overall continuity. Wow. Wow. Without the scheme adjustment metric added in, 71%. But either way, okay. it, what this tells me, guys, is we are like, – like, like it has already been alluded to. We are not like a standard deviation away from any of these teams that won the Super Bowl. And we're measuring against the teams that have won the Super Bowl, not even against the mm. runner-ups or people that went into the playoffs. These are the best of the best. And – we're hovering right within their data. And if we adjust also for that, you know, the fact that a lot of these guys, like, like I have mentioned previously, this is like Staley's best of hits or something like that from his career. You know, yeah. let's collect all my favorite little pieces, except for Aaron Donald, we're going to get him. <laughs> let's get all of the little pieces. And if you would have told me in January, um, you know, that we were going to do something like this, I would have put... Khalil Mack in the same conversation as Aaron Donald. So the fact that we had Mack come over is just incredible yeah. to me. Um, and yeah, the sky's the limit for this season, boys. Yeah, I think I, I just so, if I, I, can, I can just jump in there. I think on top of this is the excitement that we get from bringing in guys who aren't considered scheme fit adjustments like Kyle Van Noy, JC Jackson. Both guys have championship winning experience on multiple occasions. So you're not just getting the scheme fit additions to the defensive ranks, you're also getting uh, just a, a wealth of experience in all facets of the game as additions to that. So, I mean, God, if that doesn't, you know, get you up off your seat, then you ain't a fan of this football team, baby. 
<laughs> it's very exciting. Oh, right. I'm very excited. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Mm. Do you have anything to touch on before so, we roll on, Kyle? No, that was it. Thanks for thanks for uh, giving me that topic, guys. That was a really fun one to dive into and take a look at. Oh man, well thanks thanks for executing with such brilliant conviction, um, guys. I hope you all enjoyed the first of what we hope is many editions of Kyle's Corner. I would not count on it just yet. Yeah, I do keep receipts. What if Tom does want to bring in a free agent, even though his buddy Kyle DiVincantanio is begging him not to? And I went 0 for 4. But I also don't think there's any excuse for him. It's always so damn awkward hearing your own voice. In it? It's one of the biggest learning curves of doing this. Hoping for. Kyle's. Charges. Great segment. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Bef- brilliant, guys. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, it's, we, you thought with the new intro video that you were going to get away with an episode of us not standing there dancing at the <laughs> screen for 20 seconds, but you were wrong because we love doing it. Uh, so as we as we reach the uh, the peaks of the show, um, we're starting something now with, you know, as I said, this is the first of, of a few guest episodes um, and being from Australia... Uh, it would be really miss of us to not include an Aussie quiz for our guests. So how this is going to work, Kyle, is uh, the three of us have each prepared three questions for you. We're going to go around in the order of Jack, Alistair, myself, one question each, change it up, keep rotating it, and uh, we're going to see how you go out of nine questions. If you get the question, I... If you get the question right, you'll hear a bing, and there'll be a alarm if you get it wrong so all the best mate um jack do you want to start us off with your first question for kyle in the thunder down unders aussie quiz i'm shooting for like a baseball right here that's kind of what i'm yeah yeah, yeah. that is we'll see three decimal places i've i've been kind to you kyle and i've actually given you a choice between a b c d and answers so um these also reflect uh a a little bit about who i am uh and, and i'm sure the questions that andy and alistair do as well so my first question to you until World War One, Australia had a strong and innovative film industry, which was finally overtaken by the dominance of American films in the 1920s. The story of the Kelly Gang was produced in 1906 and marked the beginning of Australia's love affair with the movies. What was so unusual about this film? A. The film was so shit that Ned Kelly rolled in his grave. B. The film is actually credited with being the world's first ever feature film. C. Americans loved the film so much that the term bushranger was used in America as a term to describe a cowboy who was overly hairy. Or D, the film was so popular that it grossed around 95% of Australia's GDP in 1906. Oh, gosh. It can't be C. I feel like that term came out of the 70s. <laughs> um, let's go with... <laughs> let's go with... Uh, let's go with... I, B is the one that stood out to me as being the most lock potentially true. So I'm okay. going to go with B. Lock it in. Yeah, lock it in. Well oh. done. Yes. Hey. All right. All right. You're one from one. Don't get too excited, mate. You're in trouble. <laughs> Question two. In Australian slang, what are tracky dacks? Oh, gosh. Um, that would be a Walkman or media player. Ooh, Jack, what do you reckon? Oh, no, that 
They are tracksuit pants. Oh, wearing sweat some pants. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's my hockey team's team name. We're the Tracksuit Mafia, and we walk in wearing <laughs> Adidas tracksuits. <laughs> <laughs> tracksuit Mafia. That's good. All right, yeah, Carl. It's great. It's great. On to my one for you. Uh, Australia right. is made up of five states and two territories, giving seven in total. Name three of them. One, one more time, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. So that last, that last part. Australia, there are 50 in the US. Australia is made up of five states and two territories. Yeah, oh, yeah. Name three of them. Andy, there are six states, mate. We've got six states and two, ter- and two? territories. <laughs> That's an automatic point for time. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> oh, gosh. Um, the... Uh, Gosh, can I just hang my head on that one? There's plains, I think. Uh, let's let's go east plains, uh, oh, north it. shore. <laughs> Absolutely, I got none. That's all right. Okay. Uh, well, we're from uh, we're, from, we're well, sorry, I'm, I'm I live in South Australia, so there's one from the south, and the boys live in Victoria. So there you go. So there's there's a couple yep. for you to remember. Okay, okay, here we go again. Gotcha, I'll give you gotcha. some options here. I'm being, as I said. What are budgie smugglers? A, a piece of clothing worn deliberately to show off the male testicles. B, a cage designed to keep small birds to deep fry and eat with Vegemite. C, a man who sells birds on the black market. Or D, a jocular reference to a man's tight-fitting swimming costume or swimsuit appearing as if he has a budgerigar concealed inside it. That one, that one, D. Well done. <laughs> I would have also, ex- I would have also accepted a a piece of clothing worn deliberately to show off male testicles. <laughs> yeah, we've all That's been known awesome. to do it, Matt. All right. <laughs> Question five. Yeah. Kyle, Australia is home to some of the most dangerous animals in the world, as you well know. However, not all are dangerous. Which of these Australian snakes is the least venomous? Clue: the others in the list will kill you real fast if bitten. Okay, Eastern Brown Snake, Coastal Taipan, Diamond Python, Red Bellied Black Snake, or Eastern Tiger Snake? I would go with the first one, A. The Eastern Brown oh, Snake, I that'll kill you. Yeah. It was the Diamond Python, is the one that is not venomous, a tree snake, oh, as opposed to a trouser snake. All right, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> all right so that'll get you that'll get you uh so we're talking currency here kyle um if you have one of each yeah. of the different australian coins how much money would you have now i'll give you some options oh, i'll give God. i'll give you some options a three dollars fifty b three dollars sixty five c three dollars eighty five or D, $4.20? That's a very difficult question. That's a hard question. It's not too dissimilar to America. Um, the, the one that ended in 80. Well done. There you go. Okay. $3.85. Well done. Well done. Okay. Good stuff. My last question. A little bit of politics here, um, but this is just a guess. So, Australia has two infamous prime ministers named Bob Hawke and Harold Holt, known for two really strange things respectively. What are they? Uh, 
A, one set a beer drinking world record and the other drowned at sea, subsequently having a swimming pool named after him. B, married the same women who subsequently cheated on both of them with another future prime minister. Or C, one famously cuddled a pig on live television and the pig was vividly or aroused and famously squirted himself in the face with milk from a cow's udder on live news television. A, B, or C? It's got to be the pig. It's got to be the pig. <laughs> Give me the pig. <laughs> Weirdly enough, Bob Hawke, actually, he could he set the world record for drinking a yard glass in under, I think it was about nine seconds, which is a hell of a lot of beer. Um, and Harold Holt sadly gotcha. died at sea and being typically Australian, uh, there's a swimming pool complex named after him in uh, in the suburb that we all grew up or in a suburb close to where we all grew up. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah. So oh, die, drown at sea, nice. and we'll name a swimming pool right. you. So, yep. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> Two questions left for you, Cole. Here's my last one. How many times have the Summer Olympic Games been held in Australia? Gosh, did Melbourne ever get them? I know Sydney. I'd have to say one. I don't think... I don't remember Melbourne getting them. No, it did. Melbourne did get them, but in 1956. Dang it, dang it. So it's too close. All right, final question, Andy. In the NFL, there are 32 teams. How many teams are there in the AFL? Oh, gosh. 12. No, I should have done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There are 18. I should have thought about playoff (laughs) brackets and whatnot. 18, okay. (laughs) You did yeah, very well man. there. You did all right, Cole. That's, That's four pretty correct good. answers out of four out of nine. It's setting the start, setting the benchmark for future guests. I think you'll find it will age yeah. quite nicely. Awesome, awesome. I hope so. I hope so. Make them make real hard we'll from here on out, guys. Yeah, absolutely. None of this, what's the capital city of Australia nonsense. We go right to the tough stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, rounding out the, uh, the Thunder Down Under Aussie quiz comes to the sad end of uh, today's show. But Kyle... Thanks again for um, for sharing your time with us, sharing all the the hours that you put into your research topic. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a real treat to have you on the show uh, and to get to know you over the last little bit. We look forward to the next time we can get you back. Um, do you want to do a quick plug for your own work, um, your own uh, podcast stuff with the Guilty as Charged guys? Um, yeah, sure. I, I mean. Uh- I definitely have a video coming out with the Guilty as Charged team soon. The only thing that's holding me back is I'm trying to learn how to video edit and whatnot. I'm struggling with the production stuff. But that should be out in the next – I should have it to them in the next day or two, and then they'll decide when to release it. And it's going to be covering what takeaways I saw in watching and rewatching the Week 18 film against the Raiders and how I think it really bodes well for – there's, there's a pretty solid foundation for us to build off of um, from there, especially with all of our additions. So that's what we'll be seeing soon. But other than that, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. It's been very fun, you know, watching you guys do this, to like build this together. You have undeniable chemistry and the amount of research you all put into your shows really shows to all of us that are listening. And it's just been a great, great to follow along. Oh, thank thanks, you. man. That, um, that means a lot. We are. Uh... 
Yeah, like I said at the top, we've really appreciated all your support throughout our sort of start and as we've been going along, um, your feedback's been great and, you know, this really caps off a, yeah, really fun experience. So thanks for being on board. Guys out there, don't forget to, where can we find you on Twitter, Kyle? The Kyle D. There you go. Don't. And that's D-E, not D, just D-E. Yep. There you go. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TDU underscore Andy. Jack? Yep, you can find me at TDU underscore Jack or on any of the uh, yeah. YouTube comments. I'm always hot and answering those. And <laughs> Alistair? TDU underscore Alistair or TDU underscore Charges. Thanks very much again, guys. Um, Till next time, Jack hit the intro. We'll see y'all later. <laughs>